Welcome to John Talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java. I am in my Jetta again, and I will be talking about Jesus, and my name is still John. No Java today. It's 6.13 in the evening, and I'm not going to be drinking any coffee. So, uh, I have no announcements about anything today, except want to remind you that if this is helpful to you and you want to subscribe, that'd be great. If you subscribe on YouTube, click the little bell icon so you get notifications when I post new videos. Uh, actually, oh, no, I do have some stuff. I, I have started posting some very uh, general policy positions on my uh, congressional website, RollisonForCongress.com. Uh, so it's divided into three sections, personal, principles, and policy. And uh, yeah, part of the reason for that is because, well, being a uh, full-time high school teacher and a part-time pastor, I don't really have the research time available to do deep policy dives. So, and I don't want to throw out policies that are half-baked or poorly researched. So my campaign is more on the principles that I will bring to the office. And you can check that out again at RollisonForCongress.com or just go to my website, JohnRollison.com and uh, you can get there from there. So today, though, we are talking about a little piece of scripture, a little incident that happened with Jesus, and here's what happened. Uh, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Who is the greatest? And Jesus brought a little kid. He said, grabbed a little kid and brought it over and says, If anybody wants to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they need to become like a little child. And in fact, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be like a child. And then he said, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to be have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the ocean. And then he kind of goes on from there with a little diatribe on if your uh, hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go into eternal dwellings with one hand than to go into eternal fire with two hands. And then he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out because, well, it's better to go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. Basically, that's what he's saying. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that too. Uh, but mostly we're going to talk about this child thing. I had, it was very impactful for me. Uh, I was preaching on this today in the church where I part-time pastor. And I don't know why I never did this before, uh, but when we were talking about it, uh, there's, we have a cute little girl, a little blonde girl in our congregation, she's two years old, and I had her come up front just for a moment, not for the whole sermon, and we talked about the part where it said, where Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like this. And I'm looking down at this little two-year-old girl, and it just impacted me differently. Uh, it's given me a lot to think about, which I'll share a little bit tonight. I, I really haven't like formulated a lot of the thoughts about it yet. But I realized something though is that I have been um, I have been 
maybe the right word is philosophizing the text a little bit because uh, you know it's one thing to say Jesus brought a child and then we all as adults start going hmm what's it like to be a child uh -huh. and we, we start analyzing it right but to have a child actually standing in front of you and to think about Jesus doing that picking up a child and saying you got to be like this well that's a different thing so anyway it kind of hit me personally uh, to think that way and, and look at a little child so let's go back to the beginning the disciples come to Jesus and say who is the greatest and there's really two ways to take this question uh, one way the more charitable way I think would be to say well they want to know how to do well in the kingdom of heaven to 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 live out the kingdom of heaven with excellence and right and that would be that would be the more charitable way to interpret it unfortunately this isn't the only time the disciples asked it and it was kind of all about who's gonna be Jesus right hand man who gets to sit in the throne room next to Jesus when he comes into his power which you know they might have been thinking of as earthly power or something who knows we'll we'll go there some other time but in fact they even went so far as one time two of the disciples were brothers and their mother came to ask Jesus hey can my two sons sit at your right hand and your left hand of your throne when you come into your kingdom mom lawnmower mom right there clearing the path uh, anyway, so the, but so that's probably more like what the disciples were asking. Who is the greatest? And here's the thing. This is such a human question. We do this all the time. In fact, I think we, we do this, uh, sometimes we're doing it without even realizing we're doing it because it's so normal. If you're, if you're in a conference room with your colleagues, you're kind of looking around. Uh, shout out to Jim Kirk. There's my blinker. <laughs> I'll turn it off until I really need it. Uh, you're looking around the conference room and you're kind of gauging everybody like who's you know who brings what to the table and who's you know who's got the boss's ear and all that kind of stuff uh, so that's uh, a pretty normal thing we, we do that uh, in life kids do that you know they want to know uh, at least by the time they get to high school they start to rank each other and and being able to rank yourself uh, gives you either it gives you a place of pride or it gives you something to work for anyway so either way it's it's about it's about where you stand in comparison to everybody else so we um, a message just flashed up on my screen that's why I lost my train of thought so we do this ranking thing and it, it happens in everywhere it, it, it happens in churches like who's you know whose word whose ideas matter more all this kind of stuff so they come in and they say what's the rank how do we get the rank how do we how do we get on top uh, how do how do we how do we how can we be top dog and uh, Jesus says he brings a little child in front of them and he says well the one who would be greatest needs to be like a little child in fact you're not even going to enter the kingdom of God unless you come in like a little child so that's that's very important and so let's think about kids 
little kids. We're talking little kids. So one, two-year-old. We're not talking about nine-year-old, ten-year-old, eleven-year-old. Those. That's not what we're talking about. They've already been adulted a little bit. So one of the big differences, I think, uh, between kids and adults is that as you grow toward adulthood, you are slowly molded toward societal expectations. And for a large variety of reasons, whether it's our job or our family, our parents, our friends, our the people at school, teachers, whatever, we begin to put on masks. We learn from a fairly early age how to put on a mask and not be quite exactly who we are. We learn that there are pieces of who we are that need to be tied up and put in a bag and carried around with us where nobody can see them. And we learn what kind of masks we need to put on to get where we want to go, to be the you know, to, to survive sometimes, just to, just to survive in the environment where uh, other people shame and pressure and rank. And so to survive in that, we start learning how to rank and we start learning about pride and we start learning to put on our own masks and we start learning to hide the pieces of ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that's different about little kids. Little kids don't hide themselves. If they're happy, they're happy. If they're sad, they're sad. If they're angry, they're angry. It's certain. <laughs> being being like a little child certainly doesn't mean like being peaceful all the time, right? But I I, I think what it means is being present and open. Kids, little kids. They're not, they may be, uh, they may have an idea of what's coming, if their birthday's coming up or Christmas is coming up or whatever, but, but they're present in the moment. That's, that's what their real, where their focus is, where their mind is, it's in the moment. And they are transparent. I mean, occasionally a kid will try to dupe an adult, right? Uh, uh, if something happens and, and the kid has already been taught that uh, they need to hide, then they will hide. They'll uh, try to lie about who broke what or something. But but for the most part, kids are just as you see them. And the Bible says the kingdom of God, it, it describes it in all sorts of ways, but one of the ways that I like, it's a very simple way, uh, and it's, it's later in the New Testament, uh, the kingdom of God, the, the scriptures say, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I think that is just a great definition of the kingdom of God. So that actually brings me to another side point. There's two different ways the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. One is this idea of the next life that we all enter into and whatever, and because Jesus died and rose again, that our sin is forgiven and we can go to be with God forever. That's the next life thing. But there's another part, and it's probably the stronger part in the New Testament, really, is the kingdom of heaven is now. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is among you, the kingdom of God is within you. These are all things that talk about the very present 
kingdom of God right now. And so when Jesus starts talking about you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you enter like a little child, I don't think he's talking about you're not going to get into heaven unless you become like a little kid. I think he's talking about righteousness, peace, and joy right now. And let me just define those words for you too. Uh, righteousness, I, I, there's a lot of different ways you could read that word, but the way I read it is that sense of everything is right. Everything's right between you and God. Everything's right between you and the world. There's a balance, a harmony, an order to things, and it's right. It feels good. It feels right. All is right with the world. So that's righteousness. And then peace, we kind of know what peace is, right? The untroubled heart. Uh, not that you're not sad, not that you know, you're not a lot of different emotions, but you can be very sad, you can be you can be worried about something, you can be grieving something, uh, you can be angry about something, and still have peace in your heart. So righteousness, peace, and joy. And joy is engagement. Joy is you are right where you are at the moment. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it's like kids playing in the mud. They're not, when they're in the middle of playing in the mud, they're not thinking about anything but playing in the mud. And that's, for him, that's like the essence of joy. It's where your exact, your mind and your spirit are exactly where your body are and you're all together and you're fully engaged in whatever you're doing at the moment. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but to me, righteousness, peace, and joy sounds like the way I want my life to be. Uh, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. I don't know if it's ever really completely there. Sometimes there's more there. Sometimes, sometimes it's less there. And here's a commercial note, just a commercial aside. Meditation has helped me a lot. So if you've never tried meditation, you should try meditation. Uh, and it doesn't have to be like all woo-woo meditation. Because uh, even there's good science coming in about simple, simple meditations that don't even really have a spiritual context. It's just like body scan meditation, breathing awareness meditation, things like that so good for you. For me, I meditate uh, kind of as a precursor to some of my prayer time. It's really changed things. Uh, anyway, where were we? Righteousness, peace, and joy, kingdom of God. Yeah, so kids. Kids are the model, which is just crazy for us, right? But that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. Unless you become like a little kid, you're never going to enter that kingdom of God that's within you. The, the, that the, the ability to live with righteousness, peace, and joy right now comes not from being more capable. It comes not from being more competent. It comes not from having everything more in order. It comes from being able to release your need to have everything in competence and order. Like a child. It comes from being able to release the past, to let the past go. Kids, you know, kids get mad, kids hit, whatever, but they forgive. <laughs> they forgive like instantly. It's like one gets mad, takes a toy, the other one hits him and takes a toy back and they're both mad at each other for 30 seconds. And it's like, oh, look at Caterpillar. Oh, cool, right? So that there's that there's that presence again there. The, it's the moment, the, the, that moment of uh, anger and violence between them is already gone. It's like water under the bridge. So, uh, you're not going to be able to live with a sense of rightness where everything's like ordered and harmony and peace in your heart and joy and engagement in the world 
unless you enter like a child, uh, which means we have to grow down, not grow up, which is very interesting. And, and I know that that uh, there are things about children that we can't, that adults can't emulate. We can, you know, we, we, we have to be thinking about um, providing for our family and making sure the lawn gets mowed this weekend so the HOA doesn't get get on your tail or whatever, you know. There's just, there's a lot of stuff that has to be organized about life. But that doesn't mean that your core attitude toward life can't be childlike. Uh, I asked the people where I was preaching what they thought of, and one of them talked about a sense of, they uh, see a sense of wonder. Kids, everything's new to kids. There's always something, you know, it, it's all like new and interesting. And look at look at the look at the interesting pattern in the mortar between the bricks you know whatever anything it's, it, it can all be interesting and I will tell you this sorry commercial number two for meditation meditation has really brought uh, at times anyways a, quite a heightened sense of awareness of the really coolness of just like everything so anyway try it meditation uh, so being a kid and then he says uh, you know if someone would bring, cause one of these kids to stumble, it'd be better if they just had a millstone. That's a giant stone for grinding wheat, uh, tied around their neck and they were chucked in the ocean. That's pretty serious. And I think, well, so when you're reading the Bible or listening to people talk about the Bible, one of the things that it is vital, and I don't use that word lightly, it is vital that you be aware of is the Bible is filled with all different types of writing. And if you read one type of writing as another type of writing, you're gonna get in real trouble. The most natural kind of writing, writing we read is historical prose. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. There's a lot of that in the Bible. There is, uh, there's didactic, there's teaching writing in the Bible where, you know, somebody's writing to teach the people in a certain place how to handle a certain situation. That's good. That's we, that's pretty natural, and and most everybody gets that. Then you get into things like metaphor and allegory, where the story, the elements in a story actually take the place for another event to help you see what's going on. Uh, we have parables, which are stories to illustrate truths. Does that mean a parable is not true? Of course not. It's just. You know, Jesus told a parable about a sower who went around sowing seed. And some of it fell on rock, and some of it fell on a path, and some of it fell among the thorns, and some of it fell on good soil. Is Jesus lying because there wasn't actually a sower who did that? No, it's just a parable. And the one that really trips people up, really trips people up, is poetry. Because unless you take the time to identify what you're write, reading as poetry, you're gonna read it as something different. So, like uh, like Psalms, the Psalms are filled with, it's, a, it's poems. And so when you read something in the Psalms and you say, well, that's true, because it says it in the Bible, you know, it's a poem. Uh, the, the Bible says, you know, the. And I might get this wrong. It's something like the the uh, mountains clap their hands and the rivers shout for joy. It's a poem. Nobody nobody's running around, you know, challenging the 
reliability of the Bible because they've never seen a mountain clap their hand or a river shout, right? So there's all sorts of types of things in the Bible. And one of the things we see is whenever, when people are speaking, one of the ways they speak is they use hyperbole. Hyperbole is overstating something to make a point. Jesus met a woman at a well at midday. He's a Jewish man. He was in Samaria. It was a Samaritan woman and she was at the well at midday. Women normally draw their water in the morning. So this woman was kind of an outcast. And so she's there and Jesus is there. Normally a Jewish man wouldn't talk to a Samaritan at all, let alone a Samaritan woman. But Jesus walks up and asks her for a drink of water because uh, she's got the you know bucket with the rope and stuff. So she could draw some water out for him. And she's like, how are you asking me to, how is it you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? And they have this little conversation. And then Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you know what, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've been married several times, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. And so she's like, oh, took my hands off the wheel. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then she, after a little more conversation, she runs into town and tells her friends, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Did Jesus actually tell her everything? No, that would take forever, right? Or at least the length of her lifetime. So that's hyperbole. So now we're going to go back to the thing we're talking about here is where it'd be better if someone causes a little child to stumble, meaning really it means to, to, to move away from the kingdom of God, to move away from uh, trusting in Christ and his word and, and start putting on masks and all that kind of stuff. It'd be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and cast into the sea. Well, it can be hyperbole and true. Now remember, last week I think it was, we talked about how teachers teach to take you somewhere. Everything they say isn't the thing they're teaching. They teach to take you somewhere. And you need to know that for the next thing that Jesus says. Because, oh it's starting to rain. I hope you're still going to be able to hear me. I'm going to turn around and see if they won't be raining in the other direction, because literally, it can be pouring in Orlando, and then 50 feet away, it won't be raining at all. It's just the way our weather pattern is. It's awesome, it's wonderful. Ooh, I could stop under a bridge, too. There's all sorts of things I could do to remedy this situation. But let's go back to what Jesus said. So he's talking about, seriously, he says it would be better for you just to get drowned in the ocean than to cause a little child to fall away from him. So that's a pretty big thing. And then he goes on and he says, listen, if your right hand or if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better for you to enter eternal life without a hand or without a foot than it is to go down to hell with all your hands and feet. Or if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out because it'd be better for you to go to with one eye than to go to hell with two. So there's a point there he's illustrating. Does he really mean to pluck everything out? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever 
done, has your foot ever taken you somewhere that it shouldn't have taken you? Has your foot ever causes you to, caused you to sin in that way? Have you ever gone somewhere you shouldn't have gone? Well, the answer is probably yes. So now you have to cut off your foot. So have your hands ever caused you to sin? Have you ever done something with your hands that you shouldn't have done? The answer is probably yes. So I guess you got to cut it off. So now you got no hands and no feet. Has your eye ever caused you to sin? Have you ever looked at anything that you shouldn't have looked at? Yeah, probably so. So now you got to pluck your eyes out. If you keep, if you keep doing this, if you keep cutting off body parts because they end up involved in sin in some way, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be dead, right? You're going to be dead. And so what Jesus is driving us to, he's, he's trying to drive us back to humility, away from trying to rank ourselves, because there's nobody who wouldn't have to cut off their hands sooner or later. There's nobody who wouldn't have to cut off their feet sooner or later. There's nobody who wouldn't have to pluck out their eyes sooner or later. So what Jesus is, he's not giving us like literal instructions. He's trying to push us somewhere. And what he's trying to do is push us back to humility to give up the idea of rank and pride altogether. Because that's what it's like to be a one-year-old. That's what it's like to be a two-year-old. You're not walking around trying to figure out your position, your rank, your order, or what position you want, what order you want, what rank you want, how you can have pride in yourself. And I'm not talking about not, if you do something wonderful, you can be proud of it, but not that pride that is, pride, pride is fine when it's, in reference to you feeling proud about something you do, but when your pride is in reference to other people, Jesus wants you to have righteousness, peace, and joy. And you're not gonna get it when you're walking around, adulting all the time, trying to figure out where you rank, trying to have pride of place over and above other people. Either you have it, or that's what you're shooting for. Jesus wants you to have an amazing life. But your amazing life is, is going to come from being able to maintain that childlike disposition. If anybody wants to enter the kingdom of heaven, if anybody really wants a life where things all seem right, where there's a sense of harmony and balance and peace, righteousness, if anybody wants a life of peace, where, where your heart is at rest. If anybody wants a life of joy, real engagement in the moment, where you're just sucked into what you're doing and, and things are marvelous and wonderful and amazing, if that's what you want, you don't have, you don't have to grow up. You have to grow down. That's what Jesus is saying. You should think about it. I think it's worth thinking about. That's all I got for you today on John talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java, even though I don't have any Java today. I did get out of the rain, I told you. All I had to go was a few hundred feet and all of a sudden it wouldn't be raining again. I mean, there's a couple drops, but all right. So if you're here still, hopefully that, that I, uh, hopefully something I said was helpful to you in some way or, or caused you to think, I would love to hear from you. 
love to hear your comments uh, on comments on my thoughts. And the Bible says iron sharpens iron. That's how we all grow. I certainly don't know everything. So feel free to shoot me some comments. Uh, you can use YouTube commenting if you're on YouTube. Uh, you can, uh, yeah, wherever, whatever, wherever commenting is available. I probably need to uh, enable that on my website. Yeah. So my website, johnrollison.com, whatever else I'm doing books, pastoring, teaching high school, <laughs> science and religion, whatever. It's all there. It's all there. And uh, I'm really glad that you went for a ride with me today. I wish you a very blessed day. I want to... Uh, oh, there's a rainbow. little rainbow. I hope that you learn in some small way today how to grow down, how to grow younger so that in a new way, maybe just for a new piece of your life, you are living a little bit more the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.